Welcome to Coping with COVID-19, an editorially independent program from the editors of Modern Aesthetics and Practical Dermatology magazines. In this episode, clinical pharmacy specialist Adam Jackson offers his expertise and opinion on the COVID-19 pandemic in 2022. He and our expert panel of aesthetic physicians, Drs. Michael Gold, Joel Cohen, Mark Nestor, Joel Schlesinger, and Amy Taub discuss the current statistics, vaccines, safety protocols, and risk mitigation strategies that may be here to stay. You may know uh, my friend, our friend Mark Rocher, who lives in Durban, South Africa, yep. and, and he sent me a picture um, from a couple days ago that he was on the beach for the first time in two and a half years without anybody in South in the beach. Nobody had a mask. Nobody, there is no more, there is no more quarantining. There is no more Omicron at all. And he said, it's, you know, he said, it's time to get back to life. And so with that, Adam, are we ready to get back to life when this passes? Or is there another variant we don't know about? So here's the first, so by the way, I've always been an optimist on this, which has been definitely not in vogue at times, but I'm still very much an optimist. Here's the first thing. I'm curious to see if Mark agrees with me on this. In for as much history as we have, which granted is not, you know, forever, and God has a tendency of giving us stuff that changes it. Trends are only trends until they're not. Whether it's black plague, yellow fever, influenza pandemic, or who knows what, it doesn't stay hell on wheels forever. Right. Whether you call it burning out, whether you call it herd immunity, by the way, I hate that term. Hate it, hate it, hate it <laughs> for a whole host of reasons. Um, unintended. Whatever you call it, there, what's that? No pun intended, whole host yes. of reasons. <laughs> for whatever you call it, it doesn't stay hell on wheels forever. Well, it's, the, it's evolution. The viruses yeah. want to evolve to be able to not kill their hosts. Right. Because otherwise they don't propagate. So hopefully, exactly. you know, that's been out there for some time saying, hey, it's gonna, that's going to happen because all, I, all I'm going to say is I don't use back-tested data to say, to then absolutely predict the future. However, there's a ton of logic in that. And at some point, pandemic epidemic waves have to shift into endemic epidemic waves. What I mean by that is at some point for a combination of factors, some of which we will know, some of which we won't, we will still get waves. They will not be as bad. They will not be as frequent. That's what I think. There has to be some seasonality to this thing. If there's no seasonality at all to this, that is the strangest enveloped uh, coronavirus imaginable for there to be none at all. And I would point out, we have at least a little bit of evidence that it is somewhat seasonal because last winter sucked and this winter sucks, which, by the way, would place it right in line with every other um, respiratory virus that looks structurally similar. Influenza looks like this in some ways. Obviously, it's not the same viral family. So I think there are a lot lot of reasons to be hopeful that we're not going to be seeing waves like this forever and ever and ever. That being said, we're all gonna get touched by it. For the vast majority of people in my circle, and I'm guessing from everything I was hearing before everyone was on and whatnot, I honestly believe the psychologic angst, the fear and concern, the psychologic angst is far greater than in both in terms of real damage (laughs) and likelihood of damage 
than actually getting infected at this point. Am I saying that I won't get infected tomorrow and that if I do, I may, I may feel downright awful. I may, but I'm willing to put a fair amount of money down. I wouldn't die. I don't feel that bad. I, I right. mean, I, I've had way worse spiral illnesses than this. So, so I, I am so what about, what, Adam, what about, what about, what about a yearly shot or twice right. a year shot? So here's, here's what we don't know yet. Here's what we don't know yet. I'm still quite hopeful that we don't, I don't, I'm hopeful that it will not be a necessity to change the vaccine. The reason why is because it's had its chances to prove a pure, a true escape variant, complete escape variant, it hasn't done it. Would it help if we got an Omicron variant vaccine? Oh, of course it would. I mean, absolutely it would, but it may not be absolutely necessary. What we don't know though, and is going to be really interesting to see is, does the booster train your immune? I mean, the whole point of boosters based upon spacing is that it teaches your body to say, oh crap, I do have to keep on doing this job. And will, will the, at what point does it teach our immune system enough, if it ever does, that we don't have to get it recurring? And again, if you have two doses, I bet you in five years, you still have a high level of protection against severe disease and hospitalization. But, but what that means is that if we are doing a yearly booster, it's, I don't think it's because of a variant. I think it's because we want to keep antibodies so high. We want to keep our first line of protection so high that we just keep ourselves not, not getting sick. But that doesn't, but I, again, I think two doses will do it for severe disease for quite some time. So I do think there's a decent chance of it being annual, but that's, it's a bummer, but it, it doesn't suck. It's no big deal. So there's two things with that. Number one, and I agree with you, Adam, what people have forgotten about is the other arm in the immune system. The, the cellular system is much more generalized. What that means is that humoral immune system, the antibodies are very specific. And that's why there's some escape. Whereas the humoral system, whereas the cellular system can, can give us a whole range of antibodies and different factors to, to actually treat the variants much better. And that's you know, part of the issue. And the question really comes down to why people aren't being hospitalized. And I agree with Adam, it's probably not because of the boosters per se, because all they're doing with the boosters is they're saying, the antibody levels are tripling or they're quadrupling, et cetera. They're not really going down to the epidemiology or if you're boosted, you're staying out of the hospital more, et cetera. There's very few studies like that from that perspective. So I think that the cellular immune system is really going to, we have you know these, these T cells that last forever or last for a long time there, which is why we never get you know rebel even though we were you know inoculated you so, know years and years and years ago. So this cellular and T cell system is so important that we actually hone in on right now because there's a lot of people out there patients who have a lot of misperceptions, even people in sometimes the medical community who go and and periodically have antibodies levels drawn and say that the levels are sufficient to protect them. And I haven't seen a well done study that really understands what any antibody quote level is no. with in terms of we, we have no we have no correlative protection yet. Right, right. Not to mention, unless you're going as part of a Pfizer study, like going to their lab, 
I don't trust whatever tighter you're getting. Uh, of course. No, absolutely. It, That's right. Because so the cellular immunity people piece. think that they have it figured out and yes. they're checking the system. There, there's no yeah. rationale to any well, of so that. The other, the other thing that we're forgetting here <laughs> is that Pfizer came out with a really good antiviral treatment. The yes. reason we haven't heard about it is we can't get it at this point. <laughs> I mean, it's impossible to find, okay? But it's, I mean, that this is one of the highest, you know, levels of protection that I've ever seen from an antiviral, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And that right there, <clears throat> there's two things. Number one, what I think we're gonna see is that antiviral is gonna be good for other viruses. I, I think they're gonna start, Pfizer has got, is onto something here. And I think we're going to see other viruses be treated in, in this way. Adam, but, you, you, know, mentioned, you mentioned a lack of randomized controlled trials in many different things. When, when we look specifically at different ways people are using to treat COVID when we don't have access to all of these different antibody monoclonals and different types of anti-inflammatories, there actually has been some paradigms that have been set up in other countries that have done quite well where they've done ivermectin plus zinc plus um, plus something else into the equation, such as something to prevent people from actually having um, like little infarct type areas or micro aggregates in these vessels. So can, can you Viagra. talk about, there, there, was, there was a randomized controlled trial in Israel on ivermectin that was done by a guy named Schwartz and that was for some reason blocked from publication. But can you update us on some of the things that are readily available that may actually help? Every, every, well, okay. First of all, I gotta say this. <laughs> every RCT that I have seen, well-controlled RCT, sufficient sample size, except blinding, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, ditch the ivermectin, ditch the zinc, ditch the hydroxychloroquine, ditch all of that. Putting that aside, putting that aside, um, there are a handful of things that, I, that have various different niches or, or are more universal. Dexamethasone, um, now I, I'm not an expert on critical care at all in any way, much less critical care, the treatment of this. But you got dexamethasone. Remdesivir does have a role, even though it's a little bit, it's definitely a little wobbly, but it, it clearly has some data there to support it in various settings. So dexamethasone, remdesivir. There is good data now for various different immune modulators, baricitinib, um, tofacitinib, and I think tocolizumab maybe. Again, in different, it, it all depends. And I study. As I was going to say, has, you, has Humira been tested yet? Because it does everything else. Right, right, right. <laughs> but what I would, what I would point out, and, and getting, getting, you know, to link this then, um, plus all the other things, like we just know better about how to, how to man, what I've read at least, again, I'm not an ICU doc, is we just know better how to manage these things medically in the broad term of medically, not just medicine medically. Um, you know, like how, how they're, you shift their position and how long they're in certain positions and lots of other things. Okay. Putting that aside, this also then points out why I think I, why I have real optimism here is because um, we have, I mean, the Pfizer's drug especially really does look remarkable. I mean, the data is strong, high, large sample sizes, pretty tight confidence, actually very tight considering it's an RCT of an antiviral. 
Um, they did the right thing in terms of throwing rotonavir on there to boost its levels. Um, it appears to be well tolerated, but again, you got to have hundreds of thousands. The issue is going to be getting it out there, and and we only ordered 10 million courses, and that's through July, and that's why you got to use it in the highest risk, etc. But, but they, there's, the there's one, a lot of there's a lot of uh, drug drug interactions with that one, yeah, right? Well, and that's, that, yes, that's true, but it's because of the ritonavir, right? Every drug interaction screening system we have out there has ritonavir in there. I mean. And, 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 the, and the big bad ones, a decent pharmacist should be able to rattle off five or six of the big, big bad ones and without I, even looking it up. In, in terms of other treatments, like people have talked about anticoagulants. I have two close friends that are urologists that said they haven't seen this much erectile dysfunction in a long time. And they believe- That's because there's no Viagra out there because it's all being used for uh, infected patients. So okay. that's why- but what else should people be taking? Like so, so there is a couple of good studies on phantomine, on, on Pepsid actually, and, the, and they haven't been debunked. And, the, and I look at this and I tell people, it's not gonna hurt you. Pepsid is not gonna hurt you at all. You know, especially what we eat, it'll probably help 90% of us. So, and vitamin D. What, yeah, what uh, uh, so yeah, so famotidine might be something, fluvoxamine yeah. might be something. Vitamin D, certainly. Now, the evidence there shows, at least, again, it's hard to study it, but doesn't look that great, but it's not going to hurt you. But again, shifting to why I'm another, what it looks like sometime down the road and why I'm optimistic. Remember um, the phrase that I think we probably all learned, depend, maybe the first day of medical or pharmacy school, um, don't ask the question if you don't want the answer and don't order a test if it's not going to change what you're going to do. Right. Right now, there is a real change in what it does for us. It doesn't mean that we give dexamethasone to everybody who tests positive, but we're still in a phase because of the rule of large numbers that we have to do a good job of quarantining, isolating, et cetera. Okay. Right. I, I think that the, the, the take home for this is that it's scary out there, but not as scary as it, should, as it can be. Number one. Number two, as physicians, we can mitigate a lot of things, both to our patients, our staff, and personally. And I think we should use all the tools to our, at our disposal to do that, to protect ourselves, our families, and our patients. Masks, I think shields, um, uh, gowns that you can autoclave, et cetera. Tests, when we have the ability to get these rapid tests, I think for 24 hours, it is the best um, uh, test, so to speak, for infectivity. So if we're in a, a small group, test the small group and, and you know, hang out with them, at least for that day. Um, I think that vaccines are certainly important. And I think this, this wave is probably gonna, you know, dramatically uh, cut down in about three weeks is what I'm, what I'm looking at. I hope so. Joel Schlesinger, Joel Cohen had a run. Yeah, I think that we're going to change our lives to some degree after this. And I think that the change is going to be a, a fairly lengthy one for at least myself. And one where I don't think I'll be as interested in going to a wedding or uh, you know some other event if I don't know who I'm with. I'm gonna be very careful about that. We're also going to be much more careful in our office. We've already changed to make sure that our staff doesn't come in with any uh, even hint of a, a cold or other illness. 
Um, and I think that we're going to have to uh, be careful about our personal uh, space with other people. And I don't see myself willingly shaking hands for a long time with people. I think that you know we'll wear a lot more masks. And I also think that we just have to be a little bit more fluid in how we approach our office and the risk in our office. I, I loved Adam's uh, uh, relation uh, uh, story about the people from South Dakota. But I think that we will always have a little bit more uh, risk intolerance uh, as physicians, and we probably will have to uh, in order to run a good practice. So um, having said that, I, I hope that we have a much better year. We'll see how it goes. I'd love it if I'm wrong and that we can go back to life as it was, but I something tells me we won't. Amy? I think we will go back to life as it was after enough time has passed for people to forget. People are people, they wanna to be together. They wanna to have fun. They like grouping together. Um, I already experienced it <clears throat> myself that, you know, last June when we thought COVID was over, I was, I went to Aspen to a meeting. I didn't wear a mask one time there. I didn't even think about it for even two seconds. And um, I think that this is gonna burn itself out. I don't know how soon. Of course, now I have COVID, so I'm thinking, great, that doesn't mean I'm not going to be careful. I wasn't as frightened of getting it as I was in the very beginning. In the beginning, I was terrified. I don't have a good history with viruses personally, and I was very afraid of dying and being in the hospital. I wasn't afraid to that extent with the Omicron. It seemed like it was going to be more mild. Being vaccinated and boosted, I felt like I was protected. I felt really fortunate to be living in this day and age when we have these modern medical miracles and the rapidity with which the medical community came together from across the world to solve these problems is beautiful. I just wish that that could have continued instead of fighting over who's going to get the IP, but then that's human too. <laughs> but I think, I think it'll go back, but my biggest takeaway from the future is I think I'm going to be wearing masks in the winter um, in my office and on planes because um, I haven't been sick until now for two straight years. And it used to be that I would get sick four or five times a year. Um, and it's been wonderful not being sick. So I'm hoping that um, we will have a vaccine for this for, you know, I'm happy to take a vaccine every year. Um, and you know, I think our patients are grateful for us to, to guide. I, I sent um, an email, an, a notice or an email out to my patients probably four times during this, trying to explain what we were doing and why we were doing it and why I came to those conclusions based on some of the data that was available in kind of English. And I cannot tell you how many patients have told me that it was the best information they got. It was the clearest thing. It helped them understand what was going on. They appreciated it so, so very much. Um, and I think that some of the time we, you know, we talk in our, you know, our language, but I think it's good to translate some of this stuff to our patients in real language because they have real anxiety, you know, like there's, terror out there, even now with the Omicron, 
for people who are normal and have been boosted. There's people who won't leave their house. And I think that's not healthy. I, I think a lot of things are going by the wayside for those people. So I think it's a good thing to communicate to our patients. We're kind of leaders in our community, these kind of relative risks and how to balance out and to give them a little bit of optimism too, because um, they, they don't really know how to view it. You know, I always get a lot of mixed messages. I think like both of you, everybody said, I think we're gonna keep wearing masks in offices. I think we're gonna wear masks on planes. I do remember, you know, having been to China so many times before this all started. I remember when I got there and the SARS um, uh, epidemic pandemic was going on, epidemic pandemic, um, and everybody wore a mask. And I was like, okay, I've never been in a situation where everybody's wearing a mask everywhere you go. And we did. And so I wore a mask every time I went and then we, we did, you know, except for when we were eating or lecturing, um, but that went away and everybody stopped wearing masks. So I do think we'll get to a point out in the real world eventually, because I think what you said, Amy is right. People will forget, um, but I think we will all be a little more diligent. And the other thing was just, again, I mentioned South Africa and I got an email on my phone um, come to South Africa. We're now open. Come for your schedule your safari now. Um, and it's just so funny because it just I literally got it about five minutes ago. So I thought I'd share that with you. So see, they're they're listening behind the scenes here. All right, Adam, last word, and then we're going to end it, and we'll try to resume this in about a month or so again. So, so thank you. We'll celebrate in a month. We'll have a yeah. We'll celebrate yeah. The, this going away. But Adam, thank you for being on again with us, and please give us the last word. Uh, well, thank you for having me. I appreciate that, um, and my wife appreciates it too because then um, she doesn't hear me talking about it to her. Ad there you go. <laughs> um, so, um, first of all, echoing what Mark said, listen, epidemic waves they they go for about eight ish weeks. You know, it's not an exact science, but they go for about that long. This thing will go on forever and we'll get to the other side of this wave. Um, I think we have so many things in place that will um, eventually what I see happening, or maybe this is just wishful thinking. Um, I'm not going to say what will change and what won't in by and large, because I think psychically this is like grief and grief is like always there. And so it always plays wreaks havoc. But there will be many things where it's like the human ability to forget bad things will, will occur. But what I see and hope can occur at some point is the first number one rule is, listen, if you have symptoms of something, just don't go around other people. Don't go to work. Don't go to school. But we won't be testing each and every person because the, the risk of the rule of large numbers will not be as much in play. Um, and that is partially because of burning out. It's partially because of, you know, hopefully it is evolving into something less severe. Omicron certainly looks less severe. Um, the data from South Africa is very encouraging on that front. And so my, my hope is that if this gets, eventually we we don't put it into a box like Pandora's box. We, but in you know, when you think about how you manage patients, you have kind of boxes. I mean, they, it's a Venn diagram, they all overlap, but you have boxes. Well, this type of case I treat this way. And at some point I see this slotting more and more into the way as a model of the way you should manage just general viruses. Like, 
If you're sick, don't go around people. Um, we're not going to be testing people because, again, the vast majority of people will not need any sort of treatment. They just won't. Like, it's like. But Adam, with these drugs, these new drugs, we may just be like, when we may. At the beginning of we a may. virus, you can just take a drug for five days. It's, it's possible. But we'll and really just. Well, I think we'll need a little bit more data to say that for certain. That's right. possible. That would be that would be nice. It it would be not. Well, well with the new nice. drugs for flu seem to do that. The new generation of of flu of flu antivirals are very effective. And maybe these look that same. You know, maybe they can do the same thing. And maybe we we do have enough supply that it's just like, hey, you get it, and you shorten your illness. And all of these things combined lead me to a real sense of optimism. And I will just echo, Amy called it a miracle. What these vaccines are, are better than we ever had a right to hope for yeah. on a whole host of levels, which I won't get into. But they are, I was hopeful that that would be the case, but wow, just wow. <laughs>